So we are in the second week of this series, Why, According to Jesus. And when we came up with this series, we didn't realize that it was going to be such a uh, profound question. But uh, in, the, in the shadow of, of Friday, I think a lot of us are just asking this question, why? And how does our faith work uh, in with this? And I think today, as we continue in our journey that, that this question why uh, and, and our responsibility as followers of Christ hopefully will become clear. Last week we uh, asked the question, why did Jesus come? And we interviewed Jesus and we went through a text where he actually explicitly said, this is why I came. And I believe that that was uh, a really informative and fruitful time for us. And today, what we're going to do is begin a two-week conversation in the book of John, in specifically in John chapter 17. And uh, John 17 is actually one of my favorite books, or uh, excuse me, uh, chapters. It, uh, I've spent uh, probably the better part of a decade just continually going back to John 17 because I get something new every time that I, I dive into that chapter. I, I am realigned in my faith. Um, basically, John 17 is the final conversation that Jesus has with God before he is arrested and taken into custody and uh, crucified. And in this conversation with God, he gives six things that he was about in his earthly ministry. In fact, uh, uh, John 17 is actually such a really uh, concise kind of summation of Jesus' ministry. And I think it's really important to us because it's according to Jesus. Now, this evening I'm really struggling with just pulling out these six uh, points and giving them to you. Because I, I kind of feel like I've had this wonderful meal, like this Thanksgiving dinner or this Christmas meal... And I took it to a uh, factory somewhere, and they, they synthesized it down into a supplement. And I'm like, hey, I had this really wonderful meal, but here's a supplement. And I don't know, the way my mind works, I was like, you know, I want people to just dive into this. And this is why I'm encouraging my growth group leader and hopefully your growth group leaders and you guys to really dive into this uh, yourself this week. But as I was thinking about this supplement, you know, I, I started asking myself the, the question, you know, can somebody just live on supplements alone? Have you ever wondered that? Like, no food, just take the supplements, you know, your one-a-day vitamin or something like that and everything. So I did what every good scholar does. I, I go on uh, Yahoo uh, Answers, right? And I type the question, can you live on supplements alone? And Lo and behold, lots of answers, and I thought I would bring you the best answer, according to Yahoo Answers. This is uh, what was picked as the best answer. You cannot replace food with supplements. It is a matter of nutrition, and there is no nutritional substitute for real food. Real food not only has more nutritional value than supplements, but also real food offers the nutrition in a way that our bodies can absorb the nutritional value that no supplement can. But supplements are important, right? And Sunday gatherings are important, but that's not the meal. And I want to encourage you to dig in this week into the meal. So 
The most beneficial thing that, that uh, I think that we can do is, as we continue is to take these points and, and kind of store them as, as high-level points, but, but also get into the meat of the matter. And we're only going to be able to do a little bit of that tonight, and that's why it's so important that you take it further. For today, you know, because of time, uh, we'll, we'll start with just starting out at the top of John 17. And Jesus, is, uh, after talking with his disciples, he turns to God and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. And then in John 17, the, in verse 4, we get our first I, Jesus, action statement. This is the first thing that, that Jesus says, this is something that I did in my earthly ministry. And he says this, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. I find that interesting that it was important for Jesus to, to state right off the bat that, hey, you know what? I brought glory to you. How? Question, how? By doing the work, yes, that, he, that, he, that God gave him to do. Paul kind of echoes this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. It says, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And here's the first thing that Jesus, this was very important to Jesus, that Jesus said, you know what, I wanted to reflect, I wanted to bring glory to God in everything that I do. And those of us who are followers of Christ, that, that we should take that very seriously and think about our actions and think about the things that we do in order to bring glory to God. Continuing in verse 5, Jesus says, Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began the perfect union between God the Father, the God Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then we get our second I action statement of Jesus in verse 6. He says, I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. This, this idea that, that Jesus was a revelation of who God is, of God's love. That, that he went and, and he made himself known and, and, and revealed God to this lost and hurting world, this world that had lost its way and thought it was about religion or thought it was about power. And Jesus came in the midst of all of that and said, no, it's about love. It's about relationship. It's about invitation. And one of the most beautiful things about our God is that he is a God of invitation, that he doesn't come and say, here's a list of things that you need to do to come to me, but he is a God of invitation saying, you know what, I will come to you, and I want you to come and be with me. This is why in Mark chapter 1 and verse 38, when this invitation was resonating in a certain area, that Jesus says, no, we need to go to other towns as well and, and preach the good news, invite them as well. Verse 7, he continues on, says, now they know everything I have as a gift from you. 
And then in verse 8, we get the next I action statement. He says, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me. What is the message? Again, the message is this, that you know what? I am a loving God and I see the pain that you're in. I see the, the track that you have gone on. I see that you've gotten all wrapped up in religious ritual. I've seen that you've looked to uh, political powers for your source of hope. And I have come to pass on the message that fulfillment is not found in religious ritual. Fulfillment is not found in power or money, but fulfillment is found in having a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. And he continues on and says, they accepted it and know that I came from you and they believe you sent me. And this next part is cool. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you and you have given them to me. So they bring me glory. Now in departing from the world, they are staying in this world. This is important. But I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by your power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. You see, the vision that God has for our life is this perfect community. We talked about it last week, how, how before the cross that Jesus for eternity had only known perfect union, perfect community, something that we can't even fathom. And that is his vision, that is his prayer for us, that we can have not only a right relationship with God, but a right relationship with his creation. In verse 12, he continues on and gives the next I action statement. He says, during my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost, except the one headed for destruction as scripture foretold. What he's talking about here in this protection and this unity is community. Or how we say it here, connectivity, connecting people with biblical community. This idea of, of protection and, and bringing people together, except for one. And I think that this is especially pertinent in today's conversation, especially this weekend's conversation based on what happened Friday night. Because you know what? The story of Judas and the story of, of many other people, even today, is the story of isolation. And the reality is that isolation is the incubator of evil. Think about it. Ju Judas was off by his own, and, and, and that is when Satan got a hold of him, when he was separated from community. And that's when he betrayed Christ. Think about Christ. When Christ went out into the wilderness, and he was isolated from community. That is when the enemy attacked. Every time, not every time, but most of the time when one of these, these, these spree shooters uh, happen, what's something that is said usually about, that's about the shooter? He was a loner. That is because isolation is the incubator of evil. And this is why community is so important. And this is why the church is so important. Because we as the church, 
are the great inviters. We are meant to be the people who say, you know what? It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you can bring to the table. You matter to God. And that we want to invite you into a relationship with Him. A lot of times I think that we think that, you know, the, the church... It's kind of this last line of defense. But the church is not the last line of defense. It is the first plan. It is the plan that we are to go out and make and mature and mobilize fully devoted followers of Christ. That we are meant to seek out the marginalized. We are to seek out the hurting. We are to seek out the sick and invite them into community. Because... When any of us are in isolation, that is when the darkness creeps in. Now, processing hurt and processing pain, I, I've been processing uh, what all of you have been processing all, all, all this uh, weekend. I was sitting there and, and being inundated, and like Pastor Eric, many of my, my friends, uh, and I have friends from all over the uh, well, really the world and, and, and all different religions and, and non-religions and things like that were saying some pretty rough things. And last night I was sitting there and I was processing it and I just uh, kind of put on the role of a father and, and tried to kind of feel his pain. And I don't know why, I mean, I don't write poetry, uh, but it just came, kind of came pouring out of me. And I just I wanted to be vulnerable with you guys and read, some, uh, read to you something I wrote, wrote last night um, as more of an example of, of how in community that we are able to process things that we are feeling. I titled it, A Father's Lament. From the early days, even before you were born, you were in need. The baby needs some ice cream, your mother used to say. We need a baby chair, cribs, or crib and diapers. It seemed like there was no end to your needs. So I worked harder and harder to make sure we had everything you needed. On the big day when we finally got to meet you, the doctor said you needed an operation. So, like any father would, I was there in your time of need. When we got you home, the needs just increased. Toys, clothes, and books, just to begin with. As you grew and it was time for you to go to school, your mother and I knew that you needed a good school. So we searched and we searched to find the best neighborhood and the best schools that would suit your needs. When we found a beautiful town called Newtown in Connecticut with a great school called Sandy Hook. We knew we had fulfilled your need for a great neighborhood and an education for your future. The needs didn't end there, however. You needed dance shoes, hair ribbons, and supplies for your projects. During one of the parent-teacher conferences, we were told that you needed a speech therapist to help you with your cute inability to pronounce the letter T. A never-ending stream of need. 
Last week you came to me and let me know that your dolls needed a house for Christmas. So I picked up some extra hours at work, and I was so excited to see you open your gift on Christmas Day. On December 14th, a boy took your life, and now you don't need anything. But now I need you. I believe we are not designed to absorb and hold all the pain in this world. And I do not know how a person can survive without a community that they can be vulnerable with and express their hurt with and express their doubts in without the fear of rejection. And this is one of the reasons why Jesus came. To help bring together a community not based on what you can do for it, but based on the love of God. In verse 13, he continues on. He says, now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of this world but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And in verse 18, we get the next I, Jesus, action statement. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. This is another thing that was important to Jesus as he's giving his account to his Father in heaven and saying, you know what, I didn't come to be served as we talked about last week in Mark chapter 10, that Jesus didn't come to be served but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. And that we as part of the body of Christ are meant to be here in service to sacrifice for the good of those who can't do for themselves. My wife Shannon and I, uh, for our 10th wedding anniversary, we just had our 19th wedding anniversary, so do the math. Uh, on our 10th wedding anniversary, I surprised her and we went to Ireland. And uh, while in Ireland, we did a lot of cool, fun things. But one thing that we like to do is go and visit these old uh, churches and uh, these old church buildings that they had turned into museums. And it really struck me while we were there, they would give you these like little mu museum pamphlets and everything, and we'd walk through and we'd learn about when the building was built and, and the architecture and, and all this kind of stuff, but it never said anything about the people. And I don't know if you've ever been to Europe, but, but you know, Europe is definitely post-Christian. And 
part of our service, part of our life, is making room for the next generation. Because, you know what? Evil is always on the move. And we never, ever, ever get to take a generation off. That every generation is responsible for sacrificing and building for the next generation, to make pathways for the isolated, for the marginalized, for the sick, so they can come and be invited to the banquet of God. Verse 19, he continues on and says, And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by their truth, set apart. I am praying not only for these disciples, this is so cool, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Who's that? Us. Jesus is praying specifically for us in Tallahassee at 7 p.m. Saying, I am praying all of these things for them. And this is what he prays. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me and Father, I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world believes you sent me. What's Jesus saying is he's inviting us in to this perfect community that no longer do we have the fear of being isolated. No longer do we have the fear that we have to be out on our own, but we are being invited into something real, something true, something loving, something eternal. And then in verse 22, we get the final I, Jesus, action statement. And like I told you, I've been studying John 17 for a decade, and this is something new this week for me. I, I, I don't, I've been teaching this all day, and I'm still like, don't believe that I've never caught this before. And I, this week I was reading, and, and I, got, I do the same thing as you. I've read this one before, and I just keep on going, right? And you know what happens when I do that? Nothing. Because I don't open my heart. I'm like, I think I know it all, God. You have nothing to teach me. But what I do, especially with familiar uh, scripture, I, I sit there and I say, God, I just, I want to forget everything I think I know about this scripture. And I did that and I read it through again. And this one popped out and I'm like, seriously? But I get to share it with you. So this is very cool. So the last I action statement that's been here for 2,000 years, but I just figured it out is that Jesus says this, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. You realize the impact of that statement? Let me read it again. I have given them the glory you gave me. What was he talking about right at the start, the beginning of the prayer? I gave you glory, right? Jesus saying, I gave you glory. And God, you gave me glory. And once again, he is inviting us into what I think should make us very uncomfortable. At least it makes me very uncomfortable. 
saying, Jesus, what are you talking about? You're inviting me into this holy union that you want me, the filthy, just, you know, person that I am, and you're inviting me into this? And in verse 23, it continues, says, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. And here we have this profound statement of Jesus saying, you know what? These things were important to me. But now I am empowering the next generation. And they will empower the next generation. And by them being invited into the presence of God and being transformed by having an encounter with the one living God, that the gates of hell will not ever overcome them. This is a prayer for a radical. And we know that, that Paul picked up this, this mantra in, verse, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. says, so now we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And has there ever been a more pertinent time for us to live like Jesus lived? By illuminating worship through everything we do by living a life of invitation to those who are isolated to those who are marginalized to those who who think they have no future and they have no hope to live life as teaching others that you know what it's not about what you can bring to the table it's not about religion or religious rituals it's not about power but it's about unity and having a right relationship with god and a right relationship with people and living a life of service, which is really living a life of sacrifice. And saying, you know what? I am going to sacrifice and willing, willingly give up something for the benefit of another to be able to experience community. And finally, he empowered us, and we need to empower the powerless. I want to close with this. It's actually a verse in John chapter 14 in, in, in verse 12. And it's, I've always been skeptical of this verse. I've always been skeptical of this statement. Is that okay for a pastor to say? Can I be skeptical? Okay. I'm very skeptical of this, of this. Until this week, I had a lot. I had a good week. I mean, I, I learned a lot this week. Let me, okay. I'm just, I think you're skeptical of this, this, this verse as well. So before you judge me, judgers. I know you're out there. Let me read this to you. I tell you the truth. This is not me. This is Jesus. I'll lie right to your face. No, no. Uh, okay, back to serious. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Right? You buy it, 
you don't buy it, when's the last time you walked on water? Stan? Not like, I've seen you swim, man. <laughs> I, it seems crazy, right? It's like crazy talk. I was praying through this, and especially just in light of just the empowerment thing. And I think God gave me something. And you can stone me after the gathering if you want, you know, if you don't think it's from God or something like this. But I think he was right. And I think he was, he was right and he was telling the truth because what he was saying here in light of John 17 was he was empowering the next generation. And let's think about what Jesus did in relational building. How many people did Jesus feed in his best miracle? 5,000. 5,000 people in one day. Pretty dang good. Pretty dang good. But you know what? The body of Christ, his church, in this church, do you know when the Haiti disaster happened that there was people in our church that raised enough food, they were feeding 10,000 people a day. This is this one little church. I think that's a miracle. And I think that that's twice as good as what Jesus did. <laughs> but we're only one part of the body of Christ, right? Stan, are you picking up a rock? No, no, okay. I was, I was watching your hands. So, you know, the body of Christ is fed millions of people. How about healings? Throw out a number. How many healings did Jesus do? Hundreds? Let's be generous. Hundreds. Well, in this little church that we call E3, I know that probably at least a thousand people have been healed because of the generosity of this church and the medical missions and the doctors that have gone down and all these things. But think about the body of Christ and not only physical healings, but spiritual healings and, and emotional healings. The body of Christ, it's amazing. Much greater works. How many people did Jesus teach in his lifetime? Thousands, tens of thousands, be generous, 30,000? I think that's pretty generous, 30,000. And what was the region that he was able to disciple in his lifetime? Less than 100 miles radius, I mean, not even close, actually probably more like 50-mile radius, was his initial impact. You'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who hasn't heard the gospel in the world. There's places, but we're coming, right? Billions of people have been invited. Billions of people have been told the gospel and told that they matter to God. Billions of people have been taught that, you know what? It's not through religious ritual. It's not through power. It's not from what you bring, but it's about relationship. 
We live in a dark world. There's no doubt about it. And people are pointing fingers and saying, you know what, where was God? And I think we can take the approach and saying, you threw him out. You threw him out of our schools. You threw him out of our government. So why are you asking now, where is God? But you know what the true answer is? That God has empowered his people to be the light in this lost and broken and hurting world. And perhaps a better question is, where was the church? When this young man was isolated in the incubator of evil. Where was the church when he felt like he had no hope, he had no future, and was being consumed by anger? I'm just going to lay it out. We are not the last line of defense. We are the only option that we have been empowered to bring hope, to be invitation, to be the ambassadors of God. And there are people in our midst, maybe even here tonight, that need to know that they are invited and they are valued. We need to be the ambassadors God has called us to be and to plead with people. You are invited. Come to the banquet. Will you guys pray with me? Dear God, we are all heartbroken. We are all hurting. We are, our prayers go to the families and the communities. Our prayers go to the church where that lunatic went into today. God, this is a mess. And it didn't take you by surprise. But God, I just pray that we will not give up, that we will not tire of doing good, that we will go out into the bushes and out in the fields and into uh, the outer cities and even across the street and let people know that they're important and that they matter and that there is hope in community with you and your church. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.